I want to invite you to turn to Genesis 45. Last week, Mark dealt with Genesis 41. And so obviously, if you're awake this morning, you know there's a gap there from 42 through 44. And so what I'm going to do this morning is just catch us up. We're going to spend our time in chapter 45, but I want to kind of share with you what has taken place before we read chapter 45 from 42 through 44. And as As we looked at in chapter 41 last week, Joseph finally has the opportunity because Pharaoh has had these these dreams and Joseph goes in front of Pharaoh and is remembered uh, that there was someone in prison who can interpret dreams. And so Joseph, after a long time, as it says in chapter 41, stands before before Pharaoh and interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And Pharaoh, because he's so impressed with Joseph and his interpretation and that he has a plan based on the interpretation. And if you remember that interpretation was Pharaoh, you're going to have seven years of plenty in the land of Egypt and in the surrounding areas, but then there's going to be seven years of famine. And after Joseph interprets that dream, he gives a strategy to how to prepare when those dreams become a reality. And because Joseph so Uh, wisely has a plan for how to prepare for the famine. Pharaoh sees that, appoints Joseph as second in command of all of Egypt, and we see Joseph finally rising to prominence. And it's also interesting that in chapter 41, it even says that Joseph has two sons that God graciously gives him. And he names one of the sons Manasseh, which means the Lord has made me forget. And so then we come to chapter 42, and the famine is now in the land. And in chapter 42, we see that because there's this famine across the land, Joseph's brothers and Jacob are in need of food to make it through the famine. And obviously, word has gotten out that Egypt is prepared and has resources stored up to make it through the famine. And so Jacob tells his sons to go to Egypt to buy grain. And Joseph's brothers leave their home and travel to Egypt. And because of this famine, it puts Joseph's brothers in a divine appointment. And they find themselves standing before the brother that they sold into slavery some 20 years later. And so there in chapter 42, we have this meeting And Joseph's brothers are before Joseph, and they bow down to Joseph. And it's interesting in chapter 42, verse 9, that it says that in that moment, Joseph remembered his dreams. And can you imagine what that must have been like? And just going to give you a little test question, all right? We've been in this series for a while. It's 11 o'clock, so you're wide awake. Uh, How old was Joseph when he had the dreams in Genesis 37? 17. Give yourself a hand. 17 years old. And so now we find many, many, a couple decades later where now Joseph, after 20 plus years, finally begins to see that's what God meant by those dreams. And so Joseph, as his brothers are bowing before him, Joseph doesn't reveal himself. Joseph knows those are his brothers, but his brothers do not know that it is Joseph. Remember, many, many years have, have gone by. Almost 23 years have gone by since Joseph's brothers have seen him. So you have a lot of different things taking place. I'm sure his physique has changed from when he was a teenage boy. He looks like an Egyptian now. 
And so as his brothers are talking amongst themselves and his brothers are sharing with Joseph their need, they also express that they have a younger brother, younger than Joseph. And if you remember, remember that Jacob, remember we said he's not the father of the year? Remember we said that all the way back at the beginning of this series? Remember he shows his kid's favoritism? Not the father of the year, not someone we look at, or what does it look like to be a husband and a dad? But Jacob had two wives, and he, and he had one wife that was Leah, and he had one wife who was Rachel, and, and Rachel was J- Jacob's favorite wife. He was the one that he, she was the one that he desired to marry in the first place, and because Jacob was tricked, he married Leah first, and then worked for Laman, and marries then Rachel, and Rachel gives birth, finally, to Joseph, and so Joseph was... Jacob's favorite, and because Joseph is thought to be dead, then Rachel gives birth to another child, and his name is Benjamin. And so now Benjamin is the favorite because Jacob thinks that Joseph is dead, and Joseph finds out that he has a younger brother. And Joseph tells his brothers, I want you to bring your brother back. And so they buy the grain, and they leave, and they go on their journey, and when they get home, they realize something. As they're unloading the grain, as it says in chapter 42, they find that all the money that they paid for the grain was in their sacks still, because Joseph put it there. And so they're thinking to themselves, oh my goodness, we're never going to be able to go back to Egypt because they're going to think that we stole this, and we know that this grain isn't going to last forever. But chapter 43 leads us that the grain runs out, and Jacob tells, tells his sons to go back to Egypt, and, but his brothers know that if they are to go back to Egypt, they need to bring their youngest brother, Benjamin, with him. And when Jacob hears that, he wants no part of it, because he doesn't ha- his brothers don't have the greatest reputation of being too trustworthy, do they? So Jacob's like, dude, there's no way I'm about to give you the youngest brother when I sent my what was my favorite with to go take care of you, and he comes up dead. But it's interesting that we begin to see a shift in God changing the hearts of those brothers that were so jealous, that were so vindictive, that were so envious. And Judah tells his father, Jacob, he makes an oath, and he says, I promise you that I will take care of Benjamin, and if anything happens to Benjamin, let there be a curse on me. So Jacob reluctantly allows Benjamin to take that journey. And now we come to chapter 44. And in chapter 44, Joseph is still testing his brothers. He's still playing a little bit of cat and mouse with his brothers because let's be honest, when it's been 20 plus years and you haven't seen your brothers and the last time you saw them, they, sold, they threw you in a pit and sold you into slavery, you wouldn't be too much trusting in that family reunion either. And so Joseph has been testing his brothers. Remember, Joseph has heard every one of their conversations, and and so he puts them through a test again. And so Joseph gives his brothers more grain, and he gets to meet Benjamin. And it's interesting that you see in chapters 42 through 44 that as these reunions are taking place, that Joseph has to excuse himself and cry in private because of the emotion of this family reunion and the memories that I'm sure flooded back into his mind of what his home was like and being with his brothers and being with his father and his mother. And so as the brothers leave, what Joseph does is he takes his favorite cup, this silver cup that's mentioned in Genesis 44. How many of you have like a favorite cup? Guys, you like have a cup? 
hold it up. Like you have this cup that you watch every football game with. Maybe you got it when you got the all you can drink and it cost $25 for that cup. And so you're keeping that cup. Like I have cup, cups like that. Maybe you have a favorite cup. Joseph had a favorite cup. And so Joseph takes that cup and he hides it in Benjamin's sack of grain. And so as his brothers go back and go on their way back home, Joseph sends his servants to meet them on that journey. And as the servants meet them on that journey, they say, wait a minute, you guys stole our master's favorite cup. I'm being very like simple in how I'm describing this. But they say, you have our master's favorite cup. And the brothers obviously deny it because to them, they have no idea that, they, that Joseph even has a cup, let alone they have it. And so they search and they find the cup in Benjamin's sack, exactly what Joseph meant. And his brothers are devastated because they say, then we're taking Benjamin back with us. And it's interesting in Genesis 44 that in the midst of that, and they're all back now in front of Joseph, that Judah stands in front of Joseph, remember, not knowing it's Joseph. And he stands and he says, would you please take me in my brother's place? That's a statement that his brothers would have never made in Genesis 37. But you see, God was doing a work in their hearts just as much as God was doing a work in Joseph's heart. And so this family reunion now takes place and resumes in chapter 45, what we're going to look at today. And, and I say all that to lead us to what we are going to see. And the title of the message is this, The Power of Perspective. The Power of Perspective. You know, as I was thinking about what we're going to look at today, it made me think of, um, some of you made me remember this. Remember, that, remember the books that you could buy and they were, they were the magic, magic eye, those pictures? Remember that? We have a picture of what that book looked like. Remember that? These pictures that really were just full of colors and you would look at the picture and by staring at the picture long enough, we have one of these pictures on the screen, you stare at that picture long enough and all of a sudden a 3D image would appear. Remember that? How many of you remember that? Am I alone here? Okay, the majority of you. Now here's what you need to understand about me. I could never see the image in that picture. I still can't. And I remember thinking about this idea of perspective and the importance of it. And it made me think back, man, I remember those pictures. And I have five younger brothers. And one of my brothers could look at that picture and see it immediately what the image was. And so you know what I did? I texted my brother last night. I mean, I, I looked at that. Before I did that, I looked at that picture and I stared at it. Let's get a close-up shot here for the people on video. To, I would cross my eyes like this because I was told if you cross your eyes, then, then maybe when you uncross them, I'm glad they uncross there. When you uncross them, you're going to be able to see the image. And so I was trying everything, couldn't see it. So I texted my brother and I was like, Jimmy, what is this picture of? Immediately he texts back. Does anybody know what the picture is? Anybody? Oh, nobody. Man, 9 a.m. had some people. It's a shark. Yeah, right? I couldn't see it either. So I was interesting. I started Googling like, how can you see the magic eye pictures? And here's what was given as the way that you can see them. I thought this was so interesting. It says, instead of looking directly at the image, you need to move your eyes as if you were looking right through it. So what it's saying is, is how you view the picture determines what you see. 
And I think that's so true of whatever you're walking through today. How you view it determines whether or not you see what God wants you to see. I think the story of Joseph is a tremendous example of a man who was like you and me, flesh and blood, sinful nature, but he understood the power of perspective. And so here's the idea that I want you to get today, and I encourage you to take notes this morning. I'm going to say it a couple times. Here it is. A perspective founded on God's promises will prevent the pain of the process to overshadow the beauty of God's provision. A perspective founded on God's promises. That my perspective founded on God's promises is a thing that will prevent the pain of the process and we're not ignoring that there's not pain in the process. But that perspective founded on God's promises will prevent the pain of the process to overshadow me seeing the beauty of God's provision. And so what I want to do this morning is just simply give you four things that I see in this passage of Scripture in chapter 45 that answers the question, how do I grow in developing a godly perspective? Because if my perspective is going to determine me seeing the beauty of God's provision rather than concentrating on the pain of the process, then I would be asking if I was sitting in your seats, well, then how do I develop this godly perspective? And that's a perfectly good and awesome question to ask. And I believe this passage of scripture in Genesis 45 is going to give us the answers. So would you look at verse one and we're going to read through verse four to begin. And remember, Joseph sees the change in Judah's heart that Judah is actually saying, take me, take me. I know that Benjamin is my father's favorite now because Jacob thinks that Joseph is dead. So take me instead. That would have never been uttered out of Judah's mouth before. And Joseph sees that. And look at what we find in verse one. It says, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, make everyone go out from me. So now it's just Joseph and his brothers. And he says, so no one stayed with him. And Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. How hard and loud did he cry? It says, so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father alive? But his brothers could not answer him. Can we just put ourselves in that throne room, in that room where this meeting took place? And Joseph just can't keep his emotions down anymore. He's fled a couple times already to cry by himself because of the emotions of this, of this family reunion. And he's begun to see the change in his brothers. And he's kind of toyed with them in the past to say, did they change? Did they not change? And he sees what God has done in them over these last 20 plus years. And he can't keep it in any longer. And he finally says, guys, it's me. And his brothers are just dumbfounded. And look at what it says, for they were dismayed at his presence. They were confused. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near me, please. And they came and he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. 
Joseph's like, hey, come near. I know I got this makeup on and probably my head shaved and all of that, but it's me. And up to this point, Joseph has not spoken to his brothers in their native tongue. He's had interpreters there to hide his identity. And though it doesn't tell us what language he spoke, but I'm sure finally for the first time, they're dialogue with one another. And here's what these verses tell me about developing a godly perspective. Number one, here it is. Process your emotions through God's promises. How do I develop a godly perspective? I mean, I need to process my emotions through God's promises. Think about the emotions that Joseph would have had, the emotions of betrayal, the decades away from his family, the wondering if his brothers had changed or didn't change, and he couldn't keep it in anymore. And how shocked his brothers would have been to realize that their brother's alive, and after they realize Joseph's alive, think about the next thought they thought, we're dead. (laughs) Joseph's alive, can't believe it. Next thought, he's gonna kill us. And I think it's interesting that Joseph, rather than going to revenge, he says, hey, come near, come near. I know you sold me into Egypt, but I want you to come near. And I believe Joseph had that reaction because he knew how to process his emotions through God's promises. I was in Mexico this past uh, weekend for, um, for some meetings. And when I was going to Mexico, here was the one thought and the one goal that I had above like talking about some church planting efforts and things like that. Here was, here was the one goal behind my mind, and if I'm to be completely transparent, it probably overshadowed even the church planting piece. Don't get sick by the water. That was, that was one of my main goals. And so we got to the hotel lobby, and, and uh, the person like had this, this bottle, this, this bottle on the counter. I was like, what's that bottle? I'm like, well, there's water filtration systems around the hotel complex, and, and uh, you can pay $5 a day for that bottle, and you can have access to those water filtration systems. Listen, they could have told me $150, and I would have paid for it. And so I'm like, sign us up. So we had this bottle and everywhere around the, around the place that we were at and right by the elevators, there was these water filtration systems. So I would hit that and we would have that water and I made sure, probably didn't even need to, but I wasn't going to take any chances. Man, I brushed my teeth with that water. I rinsed with that water. I did everything with this water. Now here's why I share that illustration. Water is a necessity for survival. It's good for you. But if it's not filtered properly, it can harm you. And I think the same thing is true of our emotions. Emotions are God-given. They're what make us us. But if our emotions are not processed properly, they can harm what is meant for good. And some of us, we just want to push down those emotions and we don't want to deal with those emotions and we want to stuff them in a closet and compartmentalize and that's not good either. But someone said this, emotions are great as long as they're not in the driver's seat. And so what do we do with those emotions? 
And I think Joseph gives us a perfect example of what we do with those emotions that are, princip- are, are found throughout Scripture. Is we take those emotions and we process them, we filter them through the Word of God. We don't ignore them. But we take them and we process them through the word of God. And I'm going to sound like a broken record for as long as you're going to know me. So just get ready to hear this over and over again. I can't believe how often in my life and in our lives that we think that we can walk this Christian life and do the things that God wants us to do and, and, and try to be someone who is a light in a dark place, but we don't spend time in God's word. We don't take what we are experiencing and the emotions that we are experiencing and feeling, and we don't filter them through God's word because we don't spend time in God's word. It can't happen. As much as we want to trick ourselves into believing, as much as we want to try it out, I'm telling you, it can't happen. Our emotions in our life have to be processed through God's promises, and God's promises are found in God's word. And one of the things that I shared with you even a few weeks ago when we kicked off this new year is one of the things that I felt like God was stirring in me to do, to do better at this in my own personal life, is to journal. And I think that's a great way for you to do that to process what you're feeling through your time in God's word. And I remember just a few weeks ago, This is the way I was feeling. There's a picture that I took out of my journal. This is what I was feeling not too long ago. And I was feeling like, man, fear is shrinking my faith and I'm allowing fear to speak to my faith and I'm allowing doubt to cause my faith to feel small. And the reason why I'm allowing fear to speak doubt to my faith is because I'm thinking about all the disappointments that I've viewed as as disappointments and I feel like it's this wall that's stopping God's truth from coming in and speaking to my faith. That's how I felt that day. I didn't try to hide it. I didn't try to pretend it wasn't there. I said, man, I gotta be honest with God. And how often in our own quiet time are we not just honest with God? This is how I felt just weeks ago. And then I remember a few weeks later reading God's word in a passage of scripture that I've probably read a million times. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 that says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And I remember drawing another picture. I'm not an artist, as you can see. But I remember drawing and saying, you know what? I remember that picture that I drew just a couple weeks ago. And just feeling that peace helped me process those emotions that I felt a couple weeks ago. I remember drawing this picture and saying, God, I thank you. That right now I feel like that peace is a fortress that's guarding my mind and my heart. From guarding me from believing the lies, from believing the discouragement, from believing the doubt, from, from embracing the distrust. And I share that with you so that you realize I'm no different than you. I have emotions just like you. I have doubts just like you. I have distrust just like you. I get discouraged just like you. I experience disappointment just like you. But when those emotions come, what am I going to do with them? And I love that we look at this man, Joseph, and we see what does Joseph do? He processes his emotions through God's promises. I love Psalm 119, verses 147 and 148. It says, I arise before dawn and I cry for help. 
I'm gonna take those emotions and I'm gonna embrace them. I hope in your words, but how do I process them? My eyes are awake before the watches of the night. Like these emotions are keeping me awake at night, but what does he do? I'm gonna meditate on your promise. Here's the second thing. Not just process your emotions through God's promises, but this is found in verses four through eight. Pray for eyes to see the work that God has done and is doing. That if I'm gonna develop a godly perspective, I need to be in attitude of prayer and saying, God, would you give me your eyes? Would you help me to see the work that you have done and you are doing when everything in me wants to look at that picture that doesn't seem to make any sense and just to see it as a bunch of gobbledygook of mess. But God, help me to see through the picture to see what you have done and what you are doing. Look at what it says in verse four. Remember, Joseph's brothers are freaked out. Is he going to kill us? And it says, and now do not be distressed. This is Joseph speaking to his brothers or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. You know, I think it's interesting, just as a side note, Joseph doesn't excuse what his brothers did. But he says, hey, don't, don't be fearful. Don't think that I'm going to Seek my revenge. Look at what he says. Like you ought to underline this in your Bible. For God sent me. Just say that out loud. Let's say that together. God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Look at this perspective. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made a, me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Like there's not a greater passage of scripture in narrative form that shows how God's sovereignty and man's choices work. Three times Joseph says, I understand now that God was doing something even in the midst of the evil that you did to me. I'm not going to excuse it. I'm not going to say that it's, oh, it, it wasn't a big deal. No, I'm going to embrace it for what it was, but I'm not going to allow embracing it, what it for what it was rob me from seeing what God has done and is doing. He understands that God has put him in the position where he is, not just to be reunited with his brothers, but to save the remnant God's people, the children of Abraham, who would produce the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he has eyes to see what God has done and is doing. And we need to pray for those eyes because it's so easy for me to focus on what I think God should have done and hasn't done rather than what God has done and is doing. You know, I think I need to pray, and you need to pray, God, would you give me eyes to see what you have done and what you are doing in my present location, where I'm at right now. See, some of us are so focused on not liking where we're at right now, we're so focused on where we wanna be, but, we're, we're, but being focused on where we wanna be rather than where we are right now, we miss what God is doing in that location. 
that maybe we don't want to be. And what we need to remind ourselves of is God's ability to work is not determined by a location you presently find yourself in. God's not hindered by that. God's not hamstrung by that. We see that in Joseph's life. Joseph says, God sent me here. He says that three times. And we need to say, God, would you help me to see what you have done and what you are doing in my present location, where you have me right now, but not just in my present location, but also in my present situation. Some of you may be at odds with your spouse. Some of you may be at odds with someone that's your friend. Someone may be, you may be at odds with, with something happening in the workplace, whatever circumstance it is. That situation's not greater than God's ability to work. And I can't think of a better passage of Scripture to cross-reference from what Joseph is going through that reminds me of God's ability to work and that he is working and that he has worked and he will work in the future than Isaiah 20, 40, 28 through 31. It says, have you not known, have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God. Like, that's who my God is. Can we just remind ourselves, that's who our God is. And it's interesting that it says, have you not known? Have you not heard? In other words, let me remind you of what you already know. So let's remind ourselves today of what we already know, that we serve a God who is everlasting. He existed before your present location and situation, and he'll exist afterwards. The creator of the ends of the earth, he, has, he does not faint or grow weary. I grow weary. You grow weary. Our God doesn't grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. You don't think he understands what you're going through. He does. He's working. He's working in you. He's working through you. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. God, I don't know if I can go on. I don't know if I can make it through the pain of this process. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Our perspective on God's promises is what allows us to see the beauty of his provision rather than the pain of the process. And young men shall fall exhausted, verse 30. But verse 31, we know this one well probably. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Listen to me. My understanding of who God is and my understanding of who man is is my equilibrium in the storms of life. A proper understanding of who God is, that God never changes, that he's all-powerful, that he's with me always, that he's everywhere that my God will always keep his promises. He's always working. He's always on time. He'll always give me what I need when I need it. And we talked about that a few weeks ago, that me understanding who God is and me understanding who man is, that I'm going to fail you. You're going to fail me. I'm going to disappoint you. You're going to disappoint me. And when I understand that, that this is who man is, so I can't place my ultimate trust and security in human humanity because we're all sinful. 
But I understand who God is in that even in spite of what man may do to me, hurt me, disappoint me, cause distrust to rise up within me, I have a God that I can run to who's always working. Man, that's my equilibrium in the storms of life. How many of you get motion sickness? Raise your hand. Okay, probably about a third of you. So here's the thing. Whenever I get on a boat, I don't want to find out if I do or not. You can see the theme here. I'm not crazy about being sick to my stomach. And so I remember going on a boat recently, and you know what I did? I put on one of these motion sickness patches, put it right behind my ear. Why? Because I didn't want to take the chance of my equilibrium being off by the boat going up and down and side to side and find myself feeding the fish. So I said, I'm going to put a patch on. What did that patch do? It helped me keep my equilibrium regardless of how the boat was going up and down. And that's exactly what reminding myself of who God is does when man does what he or she does. And we need to bring ourselves back to, wait a minute, wait a minute, just like Joseph did, okay, you did evil against me, but listen, the evil that you do against me or have done against me or the evil that humanity will do against you in the future will not override God's purposes for your life. God sent me here. God had a purpose. And man, we need to pray for eyes to see what God has done and what God is doing. Here's the third thing. Perceive ways to serve others the way that you would want to be served. I mean, look for ways to serve others the way that I would want to be served. I was wronged. I was hurt. Let me not bottle up and focus on that, but let me serve others the way that I think would have been the right way and the godly way to serve because that's exactly what Joseph does in verses 9 through 24. We don't have time to read this entire passage of Scripture. But look at what it says in verse 9. It says, hurry and go down to my father and say to him, like, Joseph's like, guys, leave right now. I want to see my dad. I haven't seen him in 20 plus years. Thus says your son Joseph, say this to him, that God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Do you see there again? It's not like, look at what I've done. I have this gift to interpret dreams. Look at me. No, no, no. He understands all the way. This is what God has done. This is what God is doing. And I'm not going to waste this opportunity. I'm going to use it the way that God wants me to use it. I'm going to use it to serve the people that God ordained me to serve. Verse 10, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen. Joseph says, hey, I got a place for you. Bring, bring everybody, bring your kids, bring your children, bring your wives, bring your supplies, bring your livestock, bring everything that you have and come here back to Egypt. And this is why God's given me this platform. This is why God's given me this leadership. This is why God has me second in command. Not so that I can have someone fan me with palm trees, but so that I can serve and preserve God's people which includes his brothers. And he says, gather everybody up and come here and I'm gonna give you everything that God has given to me because I understand it's not mine, but I'm just an instrument to be used to accomplish God's purposes. And that's why I say, man, we need to perceive 
even in the midst where we can't see exactly what's going on, that even in the midst of the hurt and the pain of the process, that we have this godly perspective that says, wait a minute, even in this pain, I'm gonna look for ways that God has given me the opportunity to minister outside of myself. And the reason why Joseph had that understanding is because he knew, man, God's purpose is so much bigger than me. And whatever you're going through right now, God's going to take that and work that for good, Romans 8.28. If you'd submit, and if you will submit to the purpose and plan of God in your life, even when it's different than what you thought, he's going to work it for good because that's what God does. And I think we get so sidetracked is because we, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, always have the spotlight on ourselves and look at what's been done to me and how can I work through this and I'm not minimizing the pain of the process. Don't hear me on that, but let's not let it overshadow the beauty of God's provision because just like I could look in those spotlights right now that are on me and I look at them long enough and then if I tried to see any of your faces, I wouldn't see them. I wouldn't see God's word. I wouldn't see my notes. So I'm not going to do it. Why? Because if I look in the spotlight long enough that's on me, it's going to blind me to what God wants me to see. And when I understand that, wait a minute, God has a bigger purpose in my life than me, then I say to myself, you know what? I'm walking through that pain of losing a loved one, that pain of betrayal in a marriage, that pain of losing my job or whatever it is, that I wonder who else around me has gone or is going through that same thing. And I could come alongside of them and share with them what God has taught me. That's the perspective that Joseph had. I mean, perceive ways to serve others the way that I would want to be served. And here's the Here's the last thing. How do I grow in my, in developing a godly perspective? This is found in verses 25 through 28. Praise God for the provisions that you have experienced in the process. Don't waste them. Praise them. Praise him for the ways that God has opened your eyes to see what he has done. Don't waste it. Praise him. Praise him for the provisions you've experienced in the process. Look at verses 25 through 28. It says, So when they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan to their father Jacob, they told, they told him, they told Jacob, Joseph is still alive. And not only is he alive, what else do they say? He's the ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now, if you didn't realize, realize this already or not, this is before the day of cell phones. So it's not like, oh my goodness, who's going to call dad? <sighs> dad. No, this was before that. So they had a long journey to figure out how this conversation was going to go. Can you imagine? No, 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 no. Reuben, you're the oldest. You're telling dad about this. No, 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 no. Judah, you've been taking leadership up to this point. You even said you, you would trade yourself for Benjamin. I think you should be the one. Can you imagine the emotion of this journey back where they get to tell Jacob that their, 
that his son who had the coat of many colors is not dead, but he's alive. And he's not just alive, but he's second in command of all of Egypt, the greatest empire of the known world. Who would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that conversation? And look at Jacob's reaction. It says, and his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. Like, Jacob probably had a good reason not to believe them. Would you not agree? (laughs) Verse 27, but when they told him all the words of Joseph, can you imagine? No, dad, let me tell you everything that's happened up to this point, which he had said to them. And when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him in the Look at what happens. The spirit of their father, Jacob, was revived. He was excited. And Israel said, which is another name for Jacob, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive, and I will go and see him before I die. And then the next chapters leading up to Genesis 50, we see this family reunion. We see this excitement. We see Joseph embrace his dad and his brothers and the weeping and in celebration. Listen to me. Don't Waste the opportunities to praise God for what you've experienced in the process. Don't waste them. The enemy wants you to so focus on the future that you miss rejoicing in what God has done and is doing. And listen to me, my effectiveness and your effectiveness to be the man or woman that God wants to use for his kingdom is affected by my attitude. So we need to make the choice. And I'm gonna have a godly perspective and what's gonna help me to be able to look through that picture that doesn't make sense and see what God wants me to see. So I'm gonna praise him. I'm gonna process my emotions through God's promises. I'm going to pray for eyes to see what God has done and is doing. Man, I'm going to perceive ways to serve others the way that I want to be served. Psalm 103, verses 2 through 4 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Have you forgotten this morning? Man, let's be reminded, forget not all of his benefits. God is so good. God is so great. You just need to look at it again. Who forgives all your iniquity, who's healed all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Some of you are like, man, I have nothing to praise God for right now. Oh, but you've forgotten the greatest thing. You've forgotten that Jesus Christ loved you enough to live and die and be risen for your sins so that you can have a relationship with God, so that you can have a perspective to be able to navigate through the pain of the process and to be able to see the beauty of God's provision. That's not because of you. That's because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You have something to praise God for. And the greatest thing, even with the circumstances that I may be experiencing, have me on cloud nine, the greatest reason I have to praise is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, let's live with godly perspective.